Hi there, this is the Reverend Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire, and this is Love to Tell the Story. When it comes to faith, friends, it's not the destination, but it's the journey that matters. That's a spiritual truth that's addressed in today's message. It's based on Mark chapter 10, verses 35 to 45, and starts out with a few memories of my days as a part-time janitor at a major Maine newspaper. I've mentioned before here that for a time while I was in college and seminary, I worked nights and weekends for the Bangor Daily News in various capacities as a security guard, phone operator, and janitor. It was a great place to work. It was the perfect job for me in those days. But looking back on it now, I realized that the real value of the job was in what the experience of working there taught me. For instance, I learned that even before the days of online access, the fact that a newspaper actually gets published every day of the week is nothing short of a miracle. And that it took more people to make it happen than just the reporters and photographers who get all the credit for it or the blame for that matter. It also took copy editors, layout artists, and typesetters. It took the guys with ink on their hands who worked the printing presses. It took the truck drivers who carried their bundles of papers from one end of the state to the other for delivery. Delivery by what they used to refer to as sunrisers. And yes, the custodial staff who cleaned up the whole mess so that the process could start up all over again the very next night. What I discovered early on is that getting the paper out every day was a team effort, with every member of the team playing an important part. But interestingly enough, I also came to see that not everybody saw it in the same way. I actually began to see in my time there that some of the editors and the creative people upstairs were quite oblivious to the efforts of the blue-collar workers downstairs, <laughs> even and especially uh, to the part-timers like me who were cleaning up after them. To it, let me tell you something. Some of those people in advertising could not hit a waste paper basket on a bet. And oftentimes, this obliviousness of which I speak was to the point of being rude and insulting. There was one man on the maintenance staff, for instance, who was a good and hard-working employee. It was just that, well... If we're being honest here, he wasn't that pleasant a person to be around. He was clearly uneducated. I don't mean that unkindly, but it was just the truth. And he was pretty crude in his speech. He had a tendency to shoot off his mouth from time to time. And again, if we're being honest, personal hygiene was not a priority. But I would watch people in that building go to extraordinary lengths to avoid having to talk to this man or even stand next to him. And the things that were said about him behind his back, well, they were often downright cruel. It was kind of a sad thing to see. Because in truth, this man was pretty outgoing. He could be quite funny and even personable when he wanted to be. But this was to no avail because most everybody at that plant just looked down his or her noses at him. Everybody, that is, except for one of the head executives at the news. The head executive, actually, the publisher, in fact, 
early almost every morning, just about the time I was ending my night shift, I'd find this man in a well-tailored three-piece suit down in the little lunchroom we had there, drinking his morning coffee across the table from the janitor with the dirty jeans and the misbuttoned shirt. They'd be trading hunting and fishing stories, talking about how the Red Sox did last night, or rehashing the other headlines in the paper that day, all the while laughing together the way old friends do. Nothing all that amazing, really. Just everyday workplace conversation exchanged between two people over a cup of coffee. But the sight of it, well, it made a big impact on me. Because here were two men from completely different places in life. One at the top of the corporate ladder, the other working for that minimum wage. One respected for everything he was. The other ridiculed for everything he was perceived to be. But both of them living and working together, earnestly and joyfully. It served as an apt reminder for me that whether we're talking about the task of putting out a newspaper six days a week or dealing with all the various and sundry challenges of life, Though we may be at different places on the road, we're all on the same journey. And ultimately, you see, it's the journey that matters. Which, when you think about it, is also a pretty apt description for what our shared journey as God's people is all about. Our text for this morning is, is ostensibly a story about pride of place. That is, the all-too-human desire to be first and greatest. Specifically, as Mark tells it, it regards a request by James and John, two of Jesus' disciples. And the request was to be granted favored positions beside Jesus in the kingdom of heaven. Grant us, they say, grant us, Jesus, to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. It's worth noting here that this was not the first such discussion amongst the disciples. In fact, in the previous chapter of Mark, they'd already been squabbling about who amongst them was the greatest. And in both instances, the debate comes right on the heels of Jesus having explained to the disciples about how the Son of Man would be handed over to the chief priests and scribes, and how he would be condemned to death and be killed, and after three days rise again. So what we have here pretty much reflects a complete and utter misunderstanding and denial on the part of the disciples as to what Jesus was telling them. Sort of a selective hearing, really, as though all they were interested in was the fame and glory that might come about from being a follower of Jesus. It's reminiscent of a line from Andrew Lloyd Webber's musical, Jesus Christ Superstar. Maybe you remember the song. It's when the disciples are falling asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane, and yet even as they're falling asleep, the disciples are all singing, always hope that I'd be an apostle, knew that I'd make it if I tried. Then when we retire, we can write the gospels so they'll still talk about us when we've died. At the end of the day, it was a clearly inappropriate request that James and John made to Jesus. And they knew it too, by the way. Did you notice that they began the request by saying to Jesus, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you, which does seem to suggest that they were expecting a negative response. But what's interesting 
is that Jesus does not respond to this inappropriate request with anger, nor does he offer up much of a rebuke. He just answers them simply and not unkindly. You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Yes. Or to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And of course, James and John, starry-eyed, overconfident disciples that they are, answer that they can and they will. But Jesus sort of waves this off and he says that while what they're saying might be true or they might think it's true, to sit at my right hand or at my left, he says, is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Jesus then proceeds to turn this whole notion of sitting in glory upside down. And he lets all the disciples know, because by this time, Mark tells us, the other ten disciples had become angry with James and John. They lost their tempers, says the message. Jesus says that whoever wants to be great must become a servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. And they must do that after the manner of Jesus himself, the Son of Man who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. To put this another way, what we need to realize is that where the kingdom of heaven is concerned, those who see themselves as closest to Jesus are going to have to put themselves in the places of those who would appear to be the farthest from it. Do not be thinking, Jesus says, that because you're here with me right now that you have arrived at your final destination. Don't think you've got all the right answers, and, and don't think you've won the door prize. Do not forget, Jesus says to them, that I have called you to follow me where I go, and where I'm going is to the lost, and the hurting, and the dispossessed, those who are crying out for love, those who are crying out for God's help. You see, what James, John, and the others had yet to learn, and frankly, what we too often forget in our own lives, is that faith is a journey, not a destination. William Willimon puts it this way. Christianity, he says, is not a set of beliefs, first principles, propositions. It is a matter of discipleship, following. Faith in Jesus is not beliefs about Jesus. It's a willingness to follow Jesus, a simple willingness to stumble along behind Jesus. The faith, you see, is in the following. And following Jesus means imitating the moves of the Master in all that we do. What Martin Luther himself referred to as the nature of God to exalt the humble, to feed the hungry, to enlighten the blind, to comfort the miserable and afflicted, to justify sinners, to give life to the dead, and to save those who are desperate and damned. So it turns out that the acid test of our faith, yours and mine, is ultimately not so much doctrinal as it is experiential, not so wrapped up in our proclamations, but rather by how closely we've been walking with Jesus in the ongoing journey of life and faith. It's no accident that the earliest name for followers of Jesus, according to the books of Acts, was the way. 
a way of life and a way of faith, yes, but most prominently a way of walking. To believe in Jesus means you're not going to be staying in one place in your life. It means movement and growth and, a, and, and change as you walk in tandem with the Lord's purposes and not your own. It means walking the way of Jesus Christ, even as you're walking along your own pathways of life. That's a very important distinction. All too often, we church people do tend to carry ourselves and our faith as though we have somehow achieved something fixed and stable. That we've made this one-time decision for Christ that requires nothing more from us than to accept the rights and privileges thereof. Too many of us act like James and John in that we assume our religious nature is more than sufficient to get us to the head of the line where the Lord is concerned. But that's not the gospel, you see. The gospel tells us that there's not a single one of us who would be able to say that we've arrived at the final destination until that moment we stand face to face with the Lord. And we can't declare that one second sooner than that. And the truth inherent in our faith and discipleship is that each one of us has still a long way to go. Each new day, every new experience, each new step along the way always ends up uh, with another twist and turn along the pathway of our walk with Jesus. This journey that we take with him of service and of servanthood. And here's the thing. Ours is rarely a journey taken alone. I know sometimes we sing that song about how our walk of faith is like a walk in a lonesome valley, the one we have to take by ourselves. But most of the time, I think, the journey we take involves others, others along the way, plenty of others, as it turns out. Some that we encounter have been on the road a long time, while others are just starting out. There are more than a few travelers who are struggling with the first few steps of faithful living. And there are a few who have stumbled a bit and are trying hard to get back on track. And yes, there are those who haven't taken those steps at all. And they have no idea at all how to start out. Basically, we are each and all people at different points along the road. People who are nonetheless on the same journey. All the more reason, you see, for you and I to reach out to them as we're on the way. As a pastor, I get asked a lot about what it is that sets the church apart from the rest of the world. And I understand the question, to be sure. In fact, I could offer up a few answers of my own about being in the world and not of the world and so on. But you know what? Maybe I'm thinking the better question is what it is about the church, about you and I in the church, that brings it closer to the rest of the world. And the answer to that question is found on our journey together, that journey we take as true disciples of Jesus Christ. What happens along the way in our worship, our work, and our fellowship? How the love we share with others is shared with all others. Because when it comes to us being the church, it's the journey that matters. It's how we embrace one another, even at times when we don't have 
quite the same point of view, or when we don't see the horizon in quite the same fashion. It's how we actively care for those lagging behind, to do so at least as much as we look towards those who are leading the charge. It's how everything we seek to do, individually and collectively, as disciples of Christ, is done as a servant of all. The church is never to be about lording it over others in the manner of the Gentiles, Jesus said, those godless rulers that he spoke of, nor is it ever to be about being in first place or best of all. At the end of the day, it's not about a destination of glory. You and I, as true disciples, are called to model ourselves after the Son of Man, who came not to be served, but to serve, to give our lives to others willingly, earnestly, joyfully, and lovingly. It's the journey that matters. And so might it always be for you and me who are walking along the way. Thanks be to God who gathers us together and sends us forth on that journey. Amen and amen. And that's the message entitled, It's the Journey That Matters, which was part of our October the 3rd service of worship at East Church. As always, we'd like to invite you to join us for in-person worship at East Church. It happens every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. Or if you prefer, you can join us live online via Facebook Live on our East Congregational Church Facebook page. Either way, we would love to have you be with us. And with that, we come to close of this episode of Love to Tell the Story. I'm Michael Lowry, and I thank you for listening today. And until next time, stay safe, be well, and may God bless you with a great day every day. We'll talk to you soon.